All right, our kids are headed out to their class. And uh, this is our teaching service. If you've not been here before, it is um, more of a relaxed service. Our first service is preaching and is more of like a one-way uh, experience. This is more of a back-and-forth, uh, interactive. Um, it's a chance to ask questions. If there's something you don't understand, feel free to raise your hand, and we'll, we'll have different opportunities for questions. So Genesis chapter 6. We're actually going to begin reading in chapter 5. So Genesis chapter 5, verse 25 is where we will begin, and we'll have a little lead-up and say a few things about chapter 5 pretty quickly get into chapter 6. All right, uh, do we have a couple folks willing to read today? Looking left and right. All right, we have one there, and um, all right, we'll do one there as well. Okay, so Genesis, um, let Esther, let's have you read from verse 25 to 32, and then Deborah, if you would read chapter 6, verse 1, and read down through verse 8. All right, Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for this portion of your word. And as we study these leading years up to the flood, I pray that we will see the truth that is in your word. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. And Lord, you are still a God that um, judges and hates sin. You're still a God who offers grace and compassion to those who will turn to you. And I thank you that you are ever the same, our almighty and wonderful God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're picking up, we left off last week with Enoch, and Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. God took him up to heaven after uh, just a few hundred years. Uh, for us, that sounds like a very long time, but for them, he was 
taken early, okay? He was removed at a younger age. And so we, we continue to study and see the genealogy and kind of the timeline of how this develops. And so in verse 25, it tells us about Methuselah, and he went 187 years before he had his first child, okay? And he begot Lamech. And then it says, after that, he lived a certain amount of time, and all the days of Methuselah, here it is, this is the big, the big winner, right? 969, longest man ever recorded to live, Methuselah. Um, one thing that we kind of don't uh, put all together is how these all interact one with another. So after Methuselah, he has a son, Lamech, and Lamech dies kind of younger, Remember, Lamech dies at 777 years, right? Now, if you do the math and you think it through, what we discover is that Lamech, Lamech is down here, Methuselah is up here. Methuselah actually lives longer than his son. And so he, he buries a son. And this is very unusual for that time period, right? Who's the other one who buried a son? Adam would have buried his son, but now Methuselah buries Lamech, and he lives for another five years after his son dies. What's also very unique is what we, if we do the math with Methuselah, we come down to him, he dies the year of the flood. And this is something we don't often think of, but there we are, the year of the flood. So Lamech dies five years prior. So five years before the flood, Lamech dies. And then the year of the flood, Methuselah dies. And, these, and who's, who's the son of Lamech in the story? Noah is, all right? Noah, the one who built the ark. And many times people make a big point about Noah, only his family were saved. But we don't think often of his father or grandfather, but they had both died by the time the flood started, Okay. But what it also tells me is when Noah, remember Noah was a preacher of righteousness? You remember he preached for how long before the flood came? A hundred years he preached, warning people that the flood was coming. And I personally wonder and believe that Lamech and Methuselah were maybe the ameners, that they would have supported him in this. And um, we don't know this for sure, but certainly they were of the line of those that had, had looked to the Lord. And so these men were dead and gone when the actual flood came and when it actually began. So uh, this gives us a little bit of perspective and, and background leading up. So verse 32 says, Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So we learn about the three sons of Noah. Is there any questions or comments on the, the content in chapter 5? All right, Genesis 5, questions or comments? Okay, now, as we get into chapter 6, this section here is a little bit more difficult and is a little bit more, um, uh, what's the word, confusing, perhaps. And um, we'll, we'll do our best to make it clear with the Lord's help, all right? So, Genesis 6, verse 1 says, It came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took wives for themselves, all whom they chose. All right, so in this passage, we, we find uh, these two groups. We have the sons of God and the daughters of men, and they choose wives, okay? And when they choose their wife, what is the metric that they use to choose a wife? I'm sorry? 
that they are fair, that they are fair. And um, that idea of fair is attractive or beautiful or comely, okay? And this is the metric that they're using, but the question then kind of develops is who are the sons of God and who are the daughters of men? So we'll put sons of God on this side and we'll put daughters of men on this side and um, try to give a little explanation of these terms and we'll kind of talk about this as we go. Daughters of men. Now, as we study this, you might, you might kind of wonder why does this matter? And there's a part of it that is just, you know, very historical and very abstract. But I do think there's one important point, and that is when we get to the point of the flood, God was judging the earth for a purpose. His judgment of the earth was not whimsical. It was not accidental. It was not, well, I don't feel like doing anything else, so I guess I'll judge the earth. It was very specific, and it was there is wickedness, and the wickedness is exploding. The wickedness is, is serious, and God is being very intentional. So when we study this that leads up to the flood, it, it shows us the wickedness that was on display, okay? And uh, there's two main interpretations of this. Um, and so let's, let me point out a couple things about the text, and then we'll kind of jump into some different verses that, that inform us a little bit. Okay, one of the things I want to point out is it says in verse 2, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took wives for themselves, all whom they chose. It says they took wives for themselves. And this, this verse is saying that they married them, okay? Taking a wife is marriage. And it's important as we study and think through this that we're talking about a marriage. This is not a one-time event, but this is someone marrying someone and, and staying with them, okay? And it, it does say they all whom they chose. So I don't know if it means that prior to this time that the parents were doing the choosing or if it simply means that their choice was opened up to everyone, whereas before their choice was more limited and they had a, a broader choice or they made choice with the, of the broader group, okay? Um, as we study into this, there's two main interpretations of who the sons of God are, okay? And we'll make this uh, as straightforward as we can. So the, the first is that they, it is the godly line of Seth, which we've kind of done some study of leading up to this point. Um, godly line of Seth. And then the other interpretation is that the sons of God are uh, demons, okay? And the demons are, um, well, we'll get into the discussion of that in, in a minute. Um, these are the two uh, options. And let me just point out that as we've studied and as we've worked our way up to this point, we studied the line of Cain, Right? And we, went, we broke down the line of Cain. And remember how the seventh from Adam was Lamech, and he took two wives. Remember that? He was an ungodly man. Then we studied the line of Seth, and number seven from Adam was Enoch. He was the one that was taken up to heaven. And um, when you study both the lines, it gives ten generations in each of these lines. So the Bible is saying now that these, these sons of God are doing a bad thing, um, and this is a, a thing that caused the wickedness of the earth to, to increase. And so, uh, because by the time we get to Noah, how many people got on the ark? Eight people got on the ark, right? And Noah had preached for 100 years. 
So that means either people had died or they rejected the message, right? Noah preached and only eight people got on the ark. That shows the wickedness of the world at that time. It shows the hardened hearts towards God. So as we study this in, um, in, in context a little bit, let me, let me give out some different scriptures and um, we'll, we'll talk this through a little bit, okay? So normally this, some, some people might say, well, this demon idea is kind of strange. Where, where are there demons in the context of Genesis 6? Is there any demons in chapter 4? Is there any demons in chapter 5? Is there any demons in chapter 6? And um, I think personally that that's an excellent question. I don't really find any other reference to demons or demonic activity um, within these chapters leading up to, to this point. But the verses where these other, the other references are made is from, uh, turn, turn your Bibles, if you can, to the book of Job. So hold your spot here in Genesis. And let's go over to Job. And um, in Job chapter 1, we're going to see this phrase again. Um, this phrase, sons of God, okay? Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Job chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. And it says there, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Now that phrase there says sons of God, and it's also used in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1, same type of text. Sons of God present themselves before God. So in both of these passages in Job, the term sons of God means angels. And so some people say, well, we find the term over here, we find the term over here, so therefore, because it's angels over here and over here, that it also means angels here in Genesis chapter 6. This is probably the, the strongest um, argument in favor of this, um, uh, you know, this uh, understanding, okay? Um, also, if you look to the New Testament, we find a couple passages there that may or may not be describing this as well. So turn with me to 1 Peter, 1 Peter in the New Testament. And as, as we kind of work through this, some of you might say, uh, this is kind of a, just an academic exercise, why are we going through all this discussion? But it, it is actually a little helpful to see how in Bible study, when we compare different scriptures and when we try to understand a passage, that, that we need to work through it in a good way versus in a, uh, what shall I say, in a way that is random, okay? And some people can be very random with their, their Bible study. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and here it says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, eight souls were saved by water. And it goes on to talk about that. Well, some people take this text and they say the formerly disobedient spirits is referring to this sons of God text in Genesis 6. Let's flip over to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness 
to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And it goes on with other examples there. Well, the term angels in verse 4, some people say here, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell. And again, they would say that this is a reference to that event right there. One final text, Jude chapter 1, because there's only one chapter in Jude, all right? Jude 1, verse 5. And here it says, And I will therefore remind you that though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their first estate, but left their own dwelling, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness to the judgment of the great day. In this passage, when it says that there were angels who did not keep their first estate, people interpret this to mean in Genesis 6 that it means that they were in the spiritual realm and they left that realm and came into the physical realm. All right? Um, a couple other things about this is that the, um, the demon view is supported, you might say, by the ap apocryphal books. And there's a couple of apocryphal books that go into detail. Um, and they would teach that, that angels cohabited with, with human beings. Um, some of the Jewish rabbis taught this view as well, and there's one uh, manuscript of the Septuagint that translates that word. Instead of sons of God, it actually puts angels of God right in the text. All right? So those are some of the, the explanations and the, um, the verses and the background of where some people say that this is demons. Um, with regard to this, let me just say that I, you know, both of these views have their pros and cons. Each view has its, you know, its support and its, and its easy points and its hard points and so on. So if someone holds some different, you know, one or the other, I don't get upset with them or think they have a deep problem or something. It's, it's a, dif a difficult passage, all right? So don't, you know, if you, you say I, I like number two and I turn out to well, if you've been around, you know, I'm, I'm on number one, okay? That's where I'm at. So, um, so I'm, I'm trying to, to give some explanation there. Before we get into detail, let's talk about this for just a moment. Um, is there any other passage of Scripture where demons cohabitate or have sexual relations with humans? Is there any other passage? Okay, I don't know of any. You got a suggestion? Mark 5? I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's in Mark 5. I'm pretty sure this is the only place in Scripture where anyone would say that a, a demon um, has sexual relations with a human. My second question, oh, yes. About having fornication, the beast. Well, that would require us to interpret the beast as a demon, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that the, the beast mentioned in Revelation is a demon. I, I personally think that that's a reference to humanity. And specifically, I think the idea of fornication there is is not in a literal physical, but it's in a, um, a, a manner of speech. So anyway, anyone else? Maybe there are some others I'm missing, okay? But I, I point that out because what's being discussed here is that demons are actually not only, let's remember what, what, what the position is saying. It's not just saying they had sexual relations, it's saying they married them and they had children together. This is what's very difficult for me because, first of all, let's just talk about the title here. The word is sons of God, right? That seems like a very strange title for demons. 
right? Well, there again, people would say over in Job, it says the sons of God came before him and Satan came among them, right? So my question then is in Job, is that referencing demons or is that referencing good angels and Satan came with the good angels? You know, I don't know. That's an interesting thought. Technically, a demon is someone who used to be, right? Who used to be a son of God. So I find that to be, you know, an, an interesting point. Let me also point out that in the New Testament, in Matthew 22, is there someone that can turn there and read that for us? Matthew 22, Esther, 20, Matthew 22, 30. And is there someone else that can turn to Hebrews 1, read a couple of verses from Hebrews 1, Pastor Jeremiah? And um, the rest of us can turn to 1 Corinthians 15, all right? 1 Corinthians 15. And, um, and let's go ahead and have the Matthew 22 text first. Matthew 22, verse 30 says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Okay. This is, I'll write the reference down if anyone wants to study this later. Matthew 22, verse 30. Now it says they. Okay. Can you read verse 29? Jesus answered and said to them, You err not knowing the scripture or the power of God. Okay, so I'll just explain the context. I'm sorry, I thought it was in the verse. But the context, when it says they neither marry nor are given in marriage, he's referencing the angels of heaven. Because this is the story of the man who had seven wives, right? And they said, which wife will he have in the resurrection? He says, you err because in the resurrection, they're like the angels of heaven. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now, that's a reference to the angels of heaven. It doesn't say demons, right? So there's a fair distinction um, to be made by that. But this is an important verse in regard to that. Um, Hebrews 1, if you could read verse 6 for us, Pastor Jeremiah. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. All right. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Um, Go ahead and read verse 14 also. I'm sorry. I should have told you there was two earlier. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation? All right. Hebrews chapter 1, and this is verse 14, says that angels are spirits. Okay? Now, if you have found your place in 1 Corinthians 15... I want you to follow with me in verse 35. I'm going to start reading in verse 35. And pay attention to the descriptions that are given to the different realms, okay? But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? You fool, what you sow is not revived unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not, you do not sow the body that shall be, but bare grain. It may perhaps be wheat or some other grain, but God gives it a body as it has pleased him. And to every seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. You catch that? He says there's a certain sort of flesh for humans, there's a certain sort of flesh for beasts, there's a certain sort of flesh for fish. And then he says there are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies. You know what he's saying is they're not the same. They're not the same. And as we work through 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is laying out that in this life we have this sort of body. When we're resurrected, we have another sort of body, right? 
And what that tells me is that the body of heaven and the body of this old earth, they cannot cohabitate together. In fact, he goes on to say, in this passage, he says that this flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, this body is not made for that world, right? What would happen if our bodies right now appeared before God Almighty in the fullness of his presence? We would just be burst off into, we would be incinerated probably, right? Because these bodies were not made in their sinful state. They're not made to endure the full glory of God. We couldn't take it. And so the glory, uh, and, and the, that's why we must be resurrected and we must be changed in order to be with God. So there's a difference in a spirit being and a physical being. Um, let's, let's talk about a little more, a couple other things that this connects with. As we think about the term sons of God, I want to remind us that this specific term is also used in the New Testament, right? Does anybody remember this term, sons of God, in the New Testament? I hope somebody does. It's in there more than once, okay? John 1.12. What were you going to say? Yeah, earlier. Okay, yeah, it was mentioned. So John 1.12 says, but as many as received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, right? So it is true that in the Old Testament, this phrase references angels, but in the New Testament, it references believers and people and humans, right? Just like us in this present body. Also, um, as we study, we find other places in the Old Testament where the term, the concept of humans being the sons of God is discussed and is explained and is talked about. Let me give some of those here in just a minute. Genesis, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 3.19. But I said, how shall I put you among the children and give you a pleasant land, a beautiful heritage of the armies of nations? And I said, listen, you shall call me my father and shall not turn away from me. That is, Israel will turn to God and call him father. Hosea 1.10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Well, that verse is in reference to people. Hosea 11.1, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Right. So there are other places where this concept of being a son of God is referenced to humans and is not referenced to, to angels. And that, that is in the Old Testament. When we tried to find out the meaning of a word, this is an important Bible study truth, the best place to start studying is in the book you're reading. Because the same human author is writing that. Now other people say, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's the author of all the Bible. Well, that's true. That's, that is true. And eventually you get there. In your Bible study, you get there. But you start first with the book that you're in. And then when you spread beyond that, if, you're, if that author has written other books, you start there. So we're, we're studying Genesis. Who wrote Genesis? Moses. Did Moses write some other books of the Bible? He did. What are they? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what we find when we look at, at all of the Pentateuch, what we find about this is he mentions angels 15 times. Moses does when he writes the Pentateuch. 15 times he references angels. However, he never uses this phrase to refer to angels, you know, excepting this one that we're studying, right? There's nowhere else where this phrase is used of angels by Moses. So uh, when, when we kind of boil this down, 
I understand that this is referencing the godly line of Seth. And what does this mean? This means that there was a, a generation of people who did know God. They did love God. They served God. And you know what? Over here are the daughters of men. And their line was the line of Cain. And yet one day, and in a season of time, this godly line of Seth, they started choosing marriage partners based on looks alone. They didn't care if they worshipped God or not. They didn't care if they were lovers of God. All they said was, wow, that's a beautiful woman. I'm going to marry her. Now, does that have some application to our lives today? It absolutely does. Because, you know, there are some men who choose their wives the exact same way. All they care about is how they look. They don't care about if they go to church, if they worship God. And what we find here is that in Genesis 6, that was a, a, a critical mistake. A critical mistake. Now, let, let's ask another question. Is there anyone else in the Bible that made this same mistake? Samson, right? He went down and he wanted to marry a Philistine, didn't he? Right? She didn't love God. She didn't serve God. Was there anyone else in the Bible that made this mistake? David. Now, who did David marry? Okay, he married someone that wasn't his wife, so that, that was a, an adulterous mistake. But the reason that happened is because he cared about her looks and nothing else. Um, Judah, you have to fill me in. Oh, yes, okay, so he um, slept with a prostitute. Yes, under that. The one I was thinking of was Solomon, right? Solomon, right? He had a thousand women, and it says they turned his heart after other gods. What, I, what troubles me about this interpretation is this. If demons came down and took wives, let, let's read this story with, with demons in mind, okay? So the Bible is saying that in Genesis 6, these wives were taken to be wives because they were pretty, all right? They looked nice, and these sons of God came and took them to be their wives, all whom they chose. Well, to me, that sounds like the demons chose the wives, and Generally speaking, especially in that culture, usually the wives didn't have probably a whole lot of say-so in the matter. And here comes these demons, and they take them to be wives. They have kids, and then God destroys mankind for their sin. That seems a little strange to me because that sounds like a problem with demons more so than a problem with humans, right? And yet the earth is destroyed. Humanity is destroyed. It just seems like humans are being held responsible for the sin of demons. Um, let's also think of a couple other things. Um, if this happened then, could it not happen now? Right? I mean, if, if demons were taking women to be their wives then, then maybe we should warn people to not marry a demon. Make sure they're really human, you know? Um, it seems, it, it's, it's a little far-fetched, okay? And, and that's one reason I, I seem to have a problem with it. And Crossbreeding with angels, you know, if, if we study in the Genesis account, which I might say is in context, Jesus t or God told Adam and Eve to, to produce after their kind, right? And, and so Adam and Eve have children, and they produce children, and they produce children. And the idea that suddenly, you know, demonic beings come and they're having children too, that's a whole different created order. That's a whole different realm of creation. And the idea that they can... can um, you know, uh, copulate and have children is, is very strange and doesn't match with the rest of the Bible. So um, let me ask some other questions. Is there any example in the Bible where a demon appears in a human body? When was that? A demon. 
Not an angel, a demon. In Revelation, where is that? No, I'm not talking about possession. Demon possession is talked about in the Bible. But demons actually having a body, right? And, and there again, some people will say, oh, well, this is demon possession. Well, if it's demon possession, you, you have a whole other issue because the, the idea is that, that demons did this, right? But if it's through a human body, then you, you have humans and humans, right? And so that kind of defeats the point um, because it's saying that the sons of God did this, not humans who were possessed by sons of God, you know? So they're, they're kind of adding a, an important element to the story. Um, is there anywhere else where the term sons of God appears to or refers to unfallen angels? I don't know of anywhere else in Scripture. Um, so as we, as we think through this, I, I understand this to be the godly line of set. So in application, this is a big distinction too. There's a strong application of this to today, right? Be careful who you marry, right? Don't just choose someone for their good looks, right? Find someone who loves the Lord and you can build a family together, right? There's a lot of application I can bring from this. I, I struggle to apply this. How, how does one apply this to my life? If demons came and cohabited with, with humans, I don't know what kind of application to make out of that. How, how do I live my life differently in light of that, that truth? Let's remember, what's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. When Genesis was written, maybe the other four books were written, right? They probably were written, maybe in, given to Israel in a set. But at that point, they didn't have Second Peter. They didn't have Jude. They didn't have Psalms or anywhere else. They had the Pentateuch. And when I read through Genesis, I try to read through it first in the mindset of someone that doesn't have some of that. And when I come to this, I have a hard time for the Israelites reading this for the first time and them saying, yep, those are those demons coming down. Like, I think when they've seen the line of Cain and they've seen the line of Seth in the context of Genesis 4 and 5, they will say, oh, this is a reference to godly people marrying ungodly people and choosing marriage just based on looks alone. Now, as we read what comes about, verse 3 says, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120. In this verse, God is saying, I'm not always going to fight against man. I'm not always going to step up and battle, battle, battle against evil. I don't quite understand that in one degree, because God does always push back against evil, but I think what he's saying is striving with man specifically, not with evil, but with man. He created man to be in harmony with him, and now man is in rebellion to him, and he says, I'm not always going to fight this creation of mine, right? One day I will just step in and, and we'll finish it. And then he says, his day shall be 120 years. You know what he's saying there? He's not saying you'll live to be 120 years old. He's saying 120 years, there will be a flood. I'm going to give him 120 years. And in those 20 years, from verse 3 down to verse 8, Noah gets his command at year 20 to build the ark, and 100 years later, the flood comes. When I study and when I work through this and when I read this, um, it, it is a sobering thought that not only is this true of marriage, but it's also true of our friendships and our relationships. We want to make sure that our deepest friendships are with people that love the Lord, right? And certainly as we reach out to the lost, we reach out with gospel emphasis and with the good news of salvation. But 
but not in a uh, manner that corrupts our walk with God. Here we have a group of people that their, their father and their grandfather had loved the Lord and had taught them to love the Lord. And they come to that point of marriage and they say, I've heard all these things, I've heard all these teachings, I'm just going to pick a wife that will appeal to me. A wife that, you know, um, that, that's the only measure I'm going to use in choosing a wife. And that is, that's very disturbing, and, and the scripture speaks against that, right? And, um, and so we have a whole people that what they do is they, they marry unsaved people, they marry lost people, and what happens to their children? Their children grow up, they don't know of God, they don't love God, they don't follow after Him. And you see the whole mass of humanity moving away from God. There used to be some that worshipped the Lord and there were some that didn't, but then they began to mix. This is really a story, I think, about separation. And the Bible does teach a healthy separation from evil. Um, so, I know it's been complicated and I know it's been in-depth, but is there questions, comments, or otherwise from anyone? All right, we'll start here. I was two things. I was thinking about um, when angels do appear and come and teach. If you would just say that these are demons and they are marrying people, you have to eat food in order to survive if it's mm -hmm. a marriage. Right. And angels, well, demons are fallen angels, but angels in the Pentateuch, when they appear before people and people offer them food as a meal, th it's burnt up. They don't eat it. They disappear, or the food is burnt up. Am I correct? Since, since you brought it up, the, the, this view immediately runs the story of Abraham when the Lord and the two angels visit him, and they do serve them food. And do they eat it, though? Well, do I don't know if the text literally says they eat it. I don't know about that. So you have a point there. I don't know. I should check that out. But again, th this view simply says this. Angels may have a body given to them by God for use in their time on earth. That's, have you ever heard of the verse that says we've, some have entertained angels unawares, mm -hmm. right? And that means that people are unaware. And if for, for someone to be unaware of an angel, they have to appear as a human, right? But that's in reference to good angels. The issue there is when we find demons in the Bible, they are always possessing something that is a legitimate being, right? Humans or animals, right? Remember when, when they left the they, Jesus was casting out the demons. They asked permission to go into the pigs, right? And there again, we see that they possess what God has already created, whereas an angel would perhaps have a body that God gives him for the time being. So. And for the godly line of stuff, my thought was it says that they uh, they chose all whom, okay, all whom they chose. And mm. I don't know if this is first, but it kind of to me sounds like maybe it would be like, oh, I like this person, I'll take this person off, you know, more uh, polygamy or whatever. Right. Where oh. that would cause more sin and more corruption mm -hmm. and more sadness. And yeah, that all whom they chose uh, phrase did really jump out to me because to me it seems that their choice is just their whims, you know, right. their, their desires. And whether it means multiples or not, I guess we can't be sure. But we do know polygamy was already going on prior. So the idea that it disappeared is pretty unlikely, right? Yeah. All right, anyone else? A question or comment? All right. Yes, Amanda. It does say that they ate the food. It does say they ate the food. Okay. Now we know. 
the rest of the story. Genesis 18. In Genesis 18. Okay. All right. Um, well, like I said, this is one of those passages that people have a hard time with. There's a lot. There's some wonderful people that, that believe this and teach this. And I have professors in school that, that believe this and taught this. And so um, I don't necessarily look down on them uh, over that. It's, it's a small matter in the big scheme of things. But as we get to the flood, I want us to see that the flood was a judgment upon humans. It was not a judgment on demons. And it was not because of demons, right? And even today, there are people that try to blame their sin on demons, right? The devil made me do it, right? That is a very dangerous thought. Now, there's no doubt that, that temptations can come from Satan and demons. But who chooses sin? We do. And when God judged humanity, it was humanity's sin. It was not... Uh, Satan's fault or the demon's fault, it was human's fault. And so I, I see the, the text is teaching us um, that there was a mixing of the ungodly and the godly, and this led more and more people away. There is a teaching that kind of says you have to become just like the world to reach the world, and you be friends with them, and you do all the things they do, and then you will reach them for Christ. Well, certainly we need to be friends with lost people, and, and we can partake in non-sinful things. However, if you take that which is corrupted and that which is holy and you mix it together, instead of purifying the corrupt thing, you will defile the holy thing, right? And that's, I believe, why in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are to marry only in the Lord, right? It specifically says to marry only in the Lord. And we're thankful that sometimes, you know, God is gracious and, and it works out well, but we know most of the time it does not. And I think this is a passage in the Old Testament that was teaching people, you marry God worshipers. And in the New Testament, we're told, you marry in the Lord, and um, our children will benefit. Um, and so, any other question or comment before we close? All right, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this passage of your word. It is a bit of a difficult portion of your word, but I'm thankful that there is truth for us even today. Help us, I pray, to raise up our children in your ways, to teach them the fear of the Lord. And Lord, I even pray right now for the children of our church, that as they come to years and they get at that marriageable age, that they will determine in their heart only to marry a believer, that they would not marry an unbeliever. And Lord, we pray that um, our families and our church would, would pass down a heritage of following you and worshiping you. Lord, we know that you still judge sin today and you judge the sin of the world at the flood. And here we sit in 2023, and our world is under condemnation as well. We know there's a judgment day coming. May we, like Noah, spread the message, point others to you. Thank you for sending Christ to be our ark of rescue. And we look forward to studying more about the flood here in the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let us uh, have just a couple of announcements, and then you can be dismissed. Um, we will go through these.